talk about encouragement this morning. Um, our series is really based on the idea that uh, there's enough discouraging things in the world that take place, right? All right, aren't there enough discouraging things going on in the world today? You don't really need to hear it from each other. We'd like to know that if you come to church, it's going to be an encouraging place. Is that correct? Have you watched the news lately? Um, you know, I'm one of those guys that uh, I'm kind of a news junkie. And uh, my family actually thinks I'm a little weird, but hey, so be it. Uh, I don't watch a lot of things on TV. I watch the news. I watch the Food Network. Um, I watch anything that is filled with useless information. I find that television itself is actually there for my personal enjoyment of useless um, information, okay? But when you uh, look at the news today, I actually will sit there, and when I see things happen in the news, I pray for it. Well, the Bible says to pray for those in authority. I think this is a time, by the way, in the next 40, 40 days, 38, 39 days, to be praying for our nation and praying for our country and pray for God's will and, and all those kind of things. Of course, we know the Bible says that the, that the heart of the king rests in the hand of the Father. So did you know that regardless of who wins the election, Jesus is still on the throne? And that's the great thing about being a part of the kingdom of God, okay? But the, the idea of encouragement is this, is that... There are enough things in the world that really kind of pull us down and break us down. We hear enough negative things in the news, and we go through things in life, and life just, uh, it is what it is. It comes, it goes, it, it brings its challenges, and we work our way through those challenges by the grace of God. Uh, I was actually at Starbucks this week, and I was meeting with a, a friend of ours who's in town, and um, when we initially launched the church, I spent a lot of time at Starbucks in the morning. And what's really interesting now is that I know all the church planters now. It's funny because I don't go in there as much, but when I do, I see the church planters. I can recognize them. Number one, they look stressed. Uh, <laughs> number two, they look like they used to have an office and they don't anymore. <laughs> number three, <laughs> there's usually a Bible and a notebook, and they're, they're trying to be so good and so faithful with their life. You know, you, you leave the, the confines, the comfortability of a church, and you get up one day and you go, you know what, I need to have office hours. But there's no one telling you that you have to have office hours because now you're your own boss. And so they all look like I'm trying to do office hours. So I go in there. And uh, one of the guys at the Starbucks, uh, the new one over by my house, actually the regional manager, he remembered me from like a year ago. He's seen me all over the place. And I went up to order my coffee and was having coffee with a friend and my coffee never came. And so finally this, this lady, real nice lady, says, I'm so sorry that you didn't get your coffee. Uh, let me, let me get it for you now. And so the manager looks over and he sees me and he goes over and he reaches into his little, his little drawer. It's actually in the car right now, honey, and it's mine. It's not you. It's a, it's a coupon. Um, and he brings me a coupon and he hands me the coupon and he says, hey, he goes, I want you to have the next coffee on us. And I said, and I, don't, I don't know his name, but I looked at him. I said, hey, look, I'm way past you having to worry about whether or not I'm going to demand a free coffee right now. And he, he started to laugh. And, and I, he, says, he says, you know, you know, a while back, he looked at me, he goes, I actually saw you more than most of my managers. I said, yeah. I said, I know who you are and know what you do. And I said, if you want to know who's working in here and not working, I'll tell you right now because I'm sitting over the corner. And he laughed and he hands me the coupon. And the top of the coupon said this. It was a picture of a coffee that was half full. And the saying next to it said, no one should live life half full. And then when you open it up, it says, have a coffee on us. And I thought, my God. <laughs> I have spent more money in this Starbucks than anyone in Colorado. And I am finally being paid back 
for all of my, you know, and I'm, I'm remembering, I deserve this coffee. And you know what? I actually felt like I owned the place. I was standing next to him, looking at the managers like, I know him. And my, my coffee better be made right next time. I mean, I was like standing around, got my little half full cup, you know. I actually felt better when I left, when I left the store. I'm still joking about it with you here today, you know. And we have that old analogy of living life half full or living life half empty and the half empty people are the negative people and the half full people are the, half, are the positive people. And I think the honest truth is that we're all both most of the time. There's not, our personalities can be a little more lively, uh, maybe more positive by nature, but at the end of the day, we're, we're both. But scripturally, you know that God does not focus on us and our lives and try to determine the destiny and the course of our life by our attitude and whether we view our lives today as I had a half full day today, but tomorrow I might have a, a half empty day tomorrow, but that's not right because then that's a half empty attitude about tomorrow, even though I'm having a half full day today. So I got to change my attitude today about tomorrow. And you know, half full, half empty when you're human can be very confusing. <laughs> what God does is God wants us to deal scripturally with how he treats us and his view. Imagine if life was never half full or never half empty. Imagine if you had a never-ending supply. See, because who cares if it's half empty and who cares if it's half full as long as somebody's pouring in. And the problem that we have in life is that most of the time, people around us, we don't have people that are pouring into us 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week, 365 days a year. But did you know that when you become a Christian, that when Christ is in your life, he has a never-ending supply. It never runs out. It never fizzles out. It never goes away. He's pouring in. He's pouring in. In your worst moment, he's pouring in. In your best moment, he's pouring in. We are human. We have sin. We have the Adamic nature. Regeneration comes and fixes all that for us, but we're still human. I wish we could wave a magic wand this morning, and none of us would have any problems all week, and no one's going to cut me off on the freeway. You know, I'm still working working on that one in my life. I really am. I'm working on it. As a matter of fact, confession time, honey. Um, oh, dear. Thank you for that term of endearment. Um, we're going down the road, and, you know, I'm an old youth pastor, right? Old, old being a, a, a rhetorical term. It's not an actual definition of my age. And we're driving down the road the other day, and my wife's sitting next to me, and six teenagers, teenagers never do this. It's against the law. Six teenagers are jammed into a little car. And I mean a little car, like Stephen Boswick car. Now, now, the only reason you're laughing is because maybe our guitar player, maybe you've seen him in his car. He's six foot two. His car is six foot six. And, um, and they're in this car, and I pull out to turn left. And as I'm turning left, this car of teenagers sees me from down the road. And this is part of being young, all right? Young man's disease. The guy sees me pulling out to turn left, and he decides he's going to speed up just to see if he can beat me and, and uh, I won't be able to turn. You know, you, know, you can't turn. I'm 16. You can't turn. I'm 16. I have, a, I, have a car that, I have a car that looks like a blender. You can't turn. You can't turn. I, I have my, my car. You hear this? You hear that? That's me. I'm bad to the bone. I'm 16. I have a car. And so he speeds up with six people in his car and he almost hits me. He almost hits me, and he slams on his brake real slow behind me, and I look at Don, I'm like, really? And then the young man's disease really kicks in, and he starts to honk. 
you know what I mean? Like, like imagine the most annoying, uh, like, toy that your kid had when they were little, you know? Like, the dude with the big truck out there, he's got a horn that's like a manly horn, but imagine, like, a kid's toy, you know, and something rose up inside of me, and it was one, one-third flesh, one-third evangelism, and one-third youth pastor, and then he pulls up next to me, and I turned over, and, and Donna shrinks down in her, in her seat. This is real. I'm telling you the truth. My stories, some of them are so bad, you can't exaggerate them. It's like you have to undertell them. So, and I, 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 start to, I, I start to boil, and I start to roll down the window. My family hates it when I do that. I'm looking for the controls. I'm like, come on. He pulls up next to me and looks across at me in his little matchbox car. And all the teenagers are like, you know, like three girls in the back seat, you know, a driver and then two little guys on each other's laps. That's cool, right? It's true. Looks through the window, looks through the window, and I went like this. And I, I, I yelled, I yelled in a, in, a, in a very evangelistic fashion. I said, you, I'm like, and I pointed, like, Drive past me, please do not slow down. And then Donna looks at me, she's like, oh, you know, because I'm tired. I had 17 years of teenagers inside of me. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you just keep driving. Then I went, for his glory. That's all thirds. You keep driving. Jesus. Donna, Donna literally did not talk to me for like two blocks. All right. And I was encouraging them. Um, okay. The Bible. No, so we live our life. Okay, we live our life. I want you to just look at this picture for a minute because this is the way I see life. It's, it's interesting to me, the power of encouragement. Because you think about how many people just come up to you during the day and encourage you. It's probably not very many. You think about how, how, how many times you've had discussions with your spouse or your children or a boss, and they just don't come up and encourage you. Have a great day. You're a great employee. You're amazing. God's got a great plan for your life. Could you imagine what church would be like if it wasn't encouraging here? See, you need, you need to remember what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to begin to break down this, this encouragement thought scripturally for you. I'm not just, you know, we're laughing, we're having fun, but you need to understand that the power of encouragement is found in its most basic element in our lives, which is our spoken word. Now, now don't misunderstand me, okay? Don't misunderstand me because when you find Jesus, you are totally fulfilled. You need to know that. You need to know that once regeneration happens, that God's done the work, then all of a sudden we have this reality of, okay, I'm a different person on the inside. You don't need anybody to tell you that you're a good person because guess what? Jesus tells you you're a great person. You're not just a good person. You're a great man of God. I'll go up to men and I'll say to them that are going through struggles, I'll say, hey, you, I don't even know them. You know, I remember one, of the t- one time I met Jason. I just told Jason he was a great man of God. And you know what Jason did to me? You don't know Jason. He's sitting over here. Jason looked away from me. He looked, he looked away. He said, hey, you're a great man of God. Because there was something in him that was like, wow, am I? Am I not a great man of God? I'm new in the church. I don't know Pastor Doug. And he's saying weird things to me. And nobody talks to me that much. And, you know, is he just a talker? Well, probably. But, you know, is, you know you're a great man of God. It just doesn't happen every day. So when it actually comes your way, it feels uncomfortable. 
It actually feels uncomfortable to someone to look, look you right in the eye on a good day or even on a bad day and say, you know what, you're amazing. I have news for you. These are not idle words. In Christ, you are amazing. You are incredible. God has a plan for your life. You have, the, the Bible says that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor mind ever conceived the glorious things that God has in store for those who love him. But the honest God truth is that most of us live our lives never trying to figure out what those things are. I think we should wake up in the morning and say, if he's got some glorious things, there's two things that need to happen. I want to know what they are. And number two, I'm going to need Jonathan to tell me that I can go get them because I don't see them. I don't understand them. But if he can see something in me that I don't see in myself, he will give me the strength just by his words for me to turn into the destiny of God and to move into what God has for me. This is not a man thought. This is biblical. You need to remember that the power of the word starts in Genesis. You are who you are. You don't need God, you know, you don't need the people to say, oh, you're a great guy, you're a good girl. You are. The Bible says you are. Yes. Don't misunderstand me today. But in the beginning in Genesis, God spoke. God didn't think. God didn't go, hmm, I think about, I'm thinking about the earth right now. Moses or whoever's up there, guess not yet, <laughs> some angel. Hey, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about water. Really? You think about water, Lord? Yeah. It's going to be wet. Don't worry about it. Um, I'm thinking about man. You're thinking about man? Adam. You're thinking about Adam? Dirt? Yeah. He's going to need a wife. Don't worry about it. Um, is that what the Bible says? The Bible says in Genesis that he spoke and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the waters in the land of, and God said, and the power of the word begins in the very creation of man. When you move forward into the New Testament, into the book of John, then you have the word personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important New Testament portions of scripture is uh, John chapter one, where it describes who Christ is. It says that, that, that God or the word became flesh and that the word, the word, everyone say the word, that the word walked among men, that the word became flesh, not the thought, not the idea, not the concept, but the word actually walked among men and became flesh. And it was that word that gave his life on Calvary so all of our sins could be forgiven. Our words are powerful. There's a power in the word. There's a power in the, in the truth that what you speak comes to pass. Uh, we know that there's life and death in the tongue. We know that, that, that the rudder of a small ship, the tongue, can control the entire ship. We know that there's words of healing. We know that there's words of hope. We know the Bible talks about when you speak your prayers, when you say this to the Lord, if you have the faith uh, as a mustard seed, then you can move a mountain and you can say, you can say, not Think to this mountain, be cast into the sea, but say to that mountain, be cast into the sea. There's something about the spoken word, and this is what Paul deals with in the book of Romans when he talks about the confession of our faith. And when we talk about words and encouragement, I just want you to know as we start down this path that you are totally fulfilled in Christ. You have everything that you need. But what we are called to do is overcome the flesh, overcome the world, overcome the devil, and use our thoughts and use our confession of faith to move mountains. We are a mountain-moving people. We're not a concept people. We're not a thought people. We're a speak, 
Speak to it and tell it, people. If you're sick here this morning, what kind of faith would it be if I said to you, well, I'm thinking about you being healed, Travis. Can you imagine? Hey, I'm sick. I'm dying. Travis, come sit. What? I'm thinking about you. <laughs> well, his grandma's thinking about him. Hey, Pastor Doug, I really, I really need something here. Well, you know, uh, I understand. I got a mountain that needs to be moved, Pastor Doug. Well, so do I. And we all do. I'm with you. You're with me. Come on. No. What Travis needs is for me to go, all right, I speak. Hear me now. I speak. I speak to your mountain, whether it's healing, finances, marriage, whatever. I speak to it. And in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I cast it into the sea. I cast it down. We pray for healing. I believe for total healing, total healing in your body. I pray for a little yellow note card to be read in two weeks, and you're going to be healed, and you're going to come through your testing. I speak to it. I speak to it in Jesus' name. By the word of God, by his stripes, we are healed. And as I begin to speak, you can't have someone, who, a, a man of faith, a woman of faith, holding the word of God in their hand. You can't have someone look you in the eye. See, it's the eye thing that makes it awkward, right? Right? Bible says that the eyes are the window to the soul. What do you see, Travis? What do you see? Do you see thoughts? Do you see concepts? What do you see? Do you see the food network? No. No. You know, this is, this is what's hard. It's when somebody goes, goes, I speak to your spirit. You're a great man of God. You can't deny it. Why? Because it's not a man thought. It is a God spiritual, biblical. You are a man of God. I don't care what you've been through. God has a plan for your life. I speak healing. There is something about the spoken word. Now, let's go to the book of Romans for a minute. Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 10. And you'll see some words here like uh, justification. You'll see words, um, confession, justification, declaration, proclamation. But what I want you to do is uh, we're not going to do justification today. I'm just going to touch on, on confession because this is where we're at. Confessing. Encouraging. Romans chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. But what does it say? It doesn't say what does it think? What does it want? What is it doing right now? It says what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now notice, we are proclaiming what? A word of faith. Not a word of concepts, not a word of ideas, not a word of I hope so's. What we're proclaiming is a word. The word is near you, is near you. Now notice these three levels here. There's three levels that Paul mentions in uh, verse 8. The word is near you. Have you ever felt distant from God? Have you ever felt in the middle of a, of a tough moment or a tough season that you wish that God would just grab you and pick you up and hold you and you wish that he was pouring into you? Well, he was. There is a biblical, a biblical idea of what it means to be near to God, the revelation that God is always here and he's always with you. 
See, because we're human, we have a need to be with someone, to have friendships, to have relationships. Uh, if you're in a marriage, you understand what that's like to have a spouse in your life and, and, and all those needs and, and the relationship, how deep it goes. It's so amazing. But with God, it's even more so. We have this need in our humanity to know that God is with us. He's with us in our family. He's near us when we're, when we're working through things. He's the other guy sitting in the room that we never want to really acknowledge because we don't think that he's listening. We don't think that he's involved. The first one is he's near us. The word is near you. And now watch this. The word is in your mouth. This is the word that we speak. So it's, there's something that takes place here in the mouth, something with our words. The word is near us and the word is in our mouth. The word is something that we say, something that we, we articulate out loud. And of course, we could go back to the book of Revelations, which I don't remember if I mentioned it last week, but in Revelation, oh, maybe it was in the class. In the book of Revelations, John gives us a recipe for how we overcome the enemy, the devil. And he says, there are three things that will happen in your life to help you overcome the enemy in this life. All right, he's using the dragon and the bride. He's using some symbolism. But there are three things. He says, the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, in other words, what Jesus has done for us. Are you thankful for the blood of the lamb today, right? What he's done, what he's done, the blood of the lamb. Number two, the word of your testimony, the word of your testimony. In other words, if you speak it, something happens. Well, what happens? The third thing is this, the blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony, number three, that you don't love your life even unto death. Well, what does that mean? It's one thing to know what Jesus has done for you, but it's another thing to be able to say it. It's another thing that when, when you're in a marriage and your marriage is struggling and your husband is in one place and you're in another place, but God's done something in your heart, Husband gets touched by God, but he's too embarrassed. He's too, he's too shameful. He's got too much condemnation in him to be able to speak boldly what God has done uh, in his life to his wife because they've been arguing the whole time. And in the middle of an argument, it's hard to go, no, I don't agree. I think this is crazy. And then, by the way, the blood of the lamb has changed me forever. <laughs> See, it's not easy to do. But what happens is when you speak it, there's power. So how do you come overcome the devil? The book of Revelation, the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, and that you don't love your life. Because we get stuck between testimony and life. We love our lives. We're so embarrassed. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't want to go to the mission field. We don't want to change everything. But if you can embrace the purpose for the testimony, it is easier to speak. And if you will have the faith to speak it, then you will have a testimony. See, something will change, something will shift, something will move if you speak it. People who get touched by God and have a, an experience with him, and they, you know what, life, life goes really well until everybody around them starts to find out that they're born again, right? I used to tell this story to my teenagers, but when I got saved, I had a roommate, and he was proud that he was from Dallas, Texas. And he and I were roommates, and we got along great until I got saved. And it was at the moment that something changed inside of me. I came home one day, and I said, Jack, he said, what's up? And he was always chewing tobacco. He never, he's never without tobacco. I said, Jack, I got to tell you something. I was 21 years old. He said, what? 
I said, Jack, um, I said, I got saved. I, I became a Christian a few weeks ago. We haven't talked about it. It was a little awkward. I just want you to know, though, and I, I think I'm supposed to move home and, and just kind of try and get my life in order. And he goes, what'd you say? He said, I, 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 I had something happen to me with Jesus. And he says, you, you going to church? So, yeah, I'm going to church. He goes, you're a Christian? So, yeah, I'm a Christian. And no joke, no joke. He grabs a cup, puts it up to his mouth, and he goes, are you born again? <laughs> because, because, now remember this, because, see, he's from the Bible Belt, right? Where everybody goes to church. He could care less if I went to church. But if I'm born again, something's changed. And you know what his next, I said, and I actually didn't know what that meant. I actually didn't know what it meant yet. So I said, um, yeah, man, I think I'm born again. And he goes, oh. He goes, that ruins everything. <laughs> See, life is easy until you find yourself in that moment where you got you to gotta speak it. And that's where the confession comes in. See, because let's look at it again. But what does it say? What does it say? Say that out loud with me. What does it say? Let's say it a little louder. Come on. What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith. The word of faith. The word of faith is in your mouth. That we proclaim. We're not quiet about it. We proclaim it. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, that's not one or the other. It's a whole package. Because if Jesus is in your heart, you're going to change what, what's coming out of, your, out of the mouth the heart speaks. So he's not saying if you confess, you're saved. If you just say, I'm a Christian. Oh, good thing you said that. You know. Um, now you, you know, live any way you want to live. No, it's a package. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. The two go together. They're automatic. You can't have one with, without the other. He says this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the heart, the spirit, we believe and we are justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Now look at the word confess here. The, with the mouth, he confesses. He confesses. So we have, what does it say? We have, it's in your mouth. It is the word, not the thought, the word of faith that we proclaim. We don't hide it. We proclaim it. Because if you confess, again, speak, with your mouth that Jesus believes in your heart and you rise from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and justified, but with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So here is the implication. The implication is that when you are saved, there is something that has to be spoken from your mouth. There's something that will be automatic. Now here's what happens. As that as time goes by, you actually begin to treat people differently than you treated them before. You actually begin to have a vision for people's lives that they don't have for themselves because the confession of faith is for everything. See, you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for him. Imagine, imagine, if you will, uh, that little car we were talking about earlier that belongs to an unknown person in our church. Imagine that little tiny car 
that, that, that maxes out at 75 unless you're going uphill, okay? So imagine life uphill at 44, all right? 44 miles an hour, I'm 44 years old, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving uphill, and this is life. Life is difficult. I hate going uphill. I hate uh, the fact that my trunk doesn't hold anything in it. I hate the fact that I can sit in the middle of my car, reach out both windows and open and close the doors at the same time. I hate the fact that if I really want something, I just reach back and get it. I hate the fact that the window is so small that, uh, you know, if you're looking through it, you know, you just see my head. Um, I hate the fact that, 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 that okay, I'll stop. Uh, Hold on, hold on, hold on, I gotta get back together. And then imagine if someone was to come along, check it out. Imagine if someone was to come along in the middle of the night and sneak into your garage, right? And they get out their tools and they start taking out the engine. And they take out that engine and they go out and they bury it in the ground. They bury it. Done. And then they go out and they, they find someone else's car, whoever's, whoever, someone with a nice car. Let's say it's a, it's a Porsche or Ferrari because they take that engine and they go put it in Stephen's car. <laughs> Stephen comes out in the morning, gets in his car, starts it up, and it goes... <laughs> Stephen's like, last night I prayed for my car. <laughs> See? People say, Stephen, I, I, I know you. I know you. You are not you are not the man. Like your car goes so fast. I mean, I look I look at you, Stephen, you're an average guy, normal guy, not that you're not beautiful, good looking, and all those things. I'm just saying. But Stephen, you're so powerful. What's happened? Well, my engine changed. What do you mean the engine changed? But you're the same guy you were last week, though I'm the same on the outside as I was last week, but this week, I'm different because now I have a bigger engine. Now something in me has been changed, it's been shifted. See, we didn't, just, we didn't just take the old the old engine and fix the spark plugs. What we did is we took out the old engine and we put in a brand new engine. And now all of a sudden, I'm a different person. And so when you live a life of faith, you're a different person. And when you speak, you're going to speak differently. You can't stop it. When you see someone in your family, you're praying for someone, you have a friend going through something, you don't look at them and go, that's the same old person that they used to be. You don't. You walk away and you go, you know what? I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to start believing God for them. So you go, well, what do you, what do you mean you're going to start believing God for them? Last week, you were, cu- you were cussing them out. Yeah, but last week, last week I, was a, I was a Toyota. This week, I'm a Ferrari. So I'm going to start praying for them. You meet someone in the, in the store, see, and all of a sudden life has purpose. You're in the store, and you, somebody shakes your hand and says, hello. Say, hey, how's it going? And then you realize, wait a minute, I'm a man of God. Well, wait, no, wait a minute. If, if I'm really a man of God, then my steps are ordered of the Lord. And if my steps are ordered of the Lord, then I'm supposed to be in this restaurant today. And if I'm supposed to be in this restaurant today, and I'm sitting at this table, and that's my waiter, then I was supposed to meet my waiter. And if I'm supposed to meet my waiter, Lord, what am I supposed to say to my waiter? You know, because, you know, if he gets my fries, if the fries aren't crispy, we're having, we're having business right now. <laughs> then he brings you your fries. Your fries are mushy. You're like, Jesus, I need you. And, and then he, he says, how you doing today? How's your day going? Are you having a good Sunday? What are you doing today? And then you go, oh, I was in church. Oh, you were in church. And I think that every single day as we walk through life, if we realize that we are a different person on the inside, it changes how we view the world. It changes how we view each other. You can't encourage someone unless you encourage them out of Christ. 
Because Christ's encouragement is the only encouragement that will last. The, the encouragement of Christ is the only encouragement that never runs out. It's constantly being poured out on your life and on your world. Now, but here, here it is. And I got to go quickly here because it's, uh, it's time. But let me show you the problem. Here is the problem. The problem is that when Paul deals with uh, encouragement, when he deals with the confession, the word, he deals with, uh, he deals with the heart over here, and he deals with our confession and our mouth and our words over here, but he doesn't say anything about where the frustrations come from. He just wraps it up. He just says, you know what? If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. This proclamation of faith will change your life. Uh, you need to confess it. You need to say it. You need to speak it. But he doesn't say anything about the people next to me who cut me off on the freeway or the frustration that we have in our marriage or the struggle that we have on our with our children. You know, we, you know God, we have great kids. We have wonderful children. But there's some, there's some days, moms and dads. Are you here, moms and dads, right? I said that, and a girl over here on the right gave me Z formation. Mm. All right? Have you ever felt that way with your kids? <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> you know? It, where, where does it come from? It's because what Paul does not deal with here in this portion of Scripture, but he does actually in, uh, where's the stronghold Scripture? 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 10. He does deal with it. So he deals, he deals with the confession, and he deals with the heart, but he doesn't deal with our mind. Our mind. Because here we're saved, and the frustration in life comes between the heart and the confession. It goes this way. And so then what God does is God gives us this thing. Once we're regenerated, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. God gives us a, um, a conscience. He gives us this thing that's constantly between the confession, this is the way it is, my heart believes. We live this thing called life right in here, and the, and the conscience works in our heart and our spirit to help us know right, to help us know wrong, and we struggle, but we struggle here. We know we're saved. We know that. We know God's got a plan for our life. I need to change the way I think. My heart is pure. I'm going to heaven. God's on the throne, but right here in the mind is where we struggle. And in 2 Corinthians, he deals with this, because he says, your battlefield will not be in your salvation. Your battlefield will not be in uh, your mouth. It won't be unless you lose the battle of the mind. Because 2 Corinthians talks about this. It says this, and I'm just paraphrased. He says, and we battle not according to flesh and blood then, but according to the weapons of this warfare are not flesh, but uh, divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. Now, here, here's, but the larger verse says this, and I'll wrap it up right here. The verse says this, that you cast down every thought and every idea and every intention that raises itself above the knowledge, everyone say knowledge, knowledge, knowledge of Christ. When we talk about strongholds, sometimes we want to go break strongholds. We want to pray over the stronghold of the city. We want to anoint this with oil. We want to cast down this demon. We want to wrap this, you know, all this cover the blood of Jesus. All that is good. But scripture and Paul describes a stronghold not as a demon, but as a thought. Our strongholds are in the mind. I can't do it. Yes, you can. 
all things are possible through Christ who gives you strength. I'm not good enough. Yes, you are good enough because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't think God has a plan for my life. Yes, he does because no eye has seen nor ear heard nor mind ever conceived the glorious things that God has in store for you. On and on and on. We tell ourselves all of this stuff here and we build strongholds up in our mind that the word of God and the confession of our faith come and begin to destroy. Come on, are you there this morning? So we battle in our mind because I am an artist. I am a, I'm an artiste, all right? And so this morning, I want, I want to end right here. Please stand to your feet.